You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We are now entering the fall market, but it's a slow start. We're going to get into some of those numbers and talk about what we think is going to happen over the next few months. But as well, the biggest threat that I believe that exists in our market today to housing prices actually just got bigger today. Today, we got fantastic content for you. I hope that I'm able to get out of the way to deliver it in an amazing fashion for you guys. And I know you're going to get so much value if and when you do. Please like, subscribe to our channel, and you can share this on Instagram and tag us at Watson Estates as well. I don't mention it very often, but you can get on our investors list if you're looking for off-market deals or small apartment buildings. We're doing that as well on the side, but here we go. What have we experienced so far in 2021? Where we're going is I want to talk about the latest news and what's happened over the last month. In fact, up to this last week, what are we seeing? And then looking to the future, what are some things that I, as an investor and a broker myself, am paying attention to as I look through the market? Here we go. What happened so far in 2021? Just a bit of a recap for those of you new to our show. Prices have defied all odds. A lot of people expected a slow year, specifically a slow second half, a cooling. And a lot of that, obviously, we saw very early spring. The early spring taking place even as early as January, February. By the time March, April rolled around, things seemed to be actually slowing down. And that led us to four, five months of cooling. And a lot of people anticipate that this is a new trend, one that will continue to decline. So I want to... First off, figure out when is the fall market, because typically we see August, September, into maybe halfway through October, a fall market. Well, it's maybe approaching us a little slow this year. We're going to look at that in some of our numbers. So here we go. I mean, it's nice. I I can't complain about the fall. It's a beautiful time of year. In fact, in some ways, my favorite year. This month is going to be my anniversary, but it's September and the leaves are a change. And I love autumn almost as much as Humpty Dumpty because he also had a great fall. (laughs) (laughs) ah knocked it out of the park for myself i like to have some fun on the show i hope you guys do too so let's get into what's going on in the fall and this article just came out it's globe and mail a lot of good content for us today it's called fall real estate market in toronto area off to a slow start as homeowners seem hesitant to sell here we go let's look at it the rush of new listings that typically signals the start of the fall real estate market in the toronto area is behind schedule this year Homeowners seem hesitant to list their properties for sale, agents say, and prospective buyers looking for fresh supply aren't seeing the influx they are hoping for. So when we talk about a slow fall, I want to be clear here. We're going to get into some of the threats, what I think is actually a big looming threat ahead of us, but I want to be clear. The slow start as it relates to this conversation, this part of our dialogue is the listings, the number of new listings. For those of you familiar with the market, like to keep track of this kind of thing, if the buyer demand is still high, that actually equates to a hot market. Hopefully that makes sense. But we got low supply nonetheless as we look at what's come over the last few weeks. That's a problem as demand potentially could keep rising, but the result is buyers may be more inclined to take a second look at properties that weren't snapped up before the long weekend. So maybe you got a property, didn't go, still sitting there, you've had a bunch of showings, but now you're starting to get some second showings. People are saying, you know what, I just I just want a house. Not a lot of options, I've been sitting, I've been waiting patiently. They're not popping up. 
But there's a big boost right now. One of the things that we haven't really mentioned on the show, but I think is valid, given the political party's position on foreign buyers and liberals and conservatives alike, both agreeing for the next two years, we're going to prevent them from purchasing and also foreign taxes on the way that aren't already, if they're not already here across Canada. So what that's led to, I believe, in a lot of ways is a big boost of demand in the short term between now and the beginning of 2022. So that's also taking place, this kind of demand of if you want to get into the Canadian housing market before it's too late, maybe now's your chance. If, in fact, you calculate and see value in our marketplace. But after travel restrictions were loosened, agents weren't able to line up appropriate properties to show people finally able to come to our country for the first time in a long time. They're now able to get in and they want their agents to book appointments to see property so before they go back home. Guess what? Nothing there. Nothing there. That equates to either a non-purchase, therefore reducing sales, or just buying whatever you see. And that's obviously a great platform for someone who's looking to sell their property, but good luck on the buying side on the other end. Well, below the $1 million mark, competition, they say, remains fierce. So obviously on the low end of the market, and I believe a big reason for this is affordability, as well as the ability to get some kind of cash flow for investors. If you're going to buy a property under a million dollars for single or duplex, under the million dollars is really where you do that. Anything beyond that, obviously now you're putting 20% down in general, which limits that market. Plus your cash flow potential not naturally will decrease as your mortgage balance increases. Well, why the slow start? Here's some of the reasons that they give. One reason for the slow start is that homeowners who are considering a move are reluctant to list before they have the next property lined up. I've noticed this forming over the, it's been, it's been several years in the making 2017. This was going on like crazy. Now it's becoming, it seems more prominent than ever. This is a risky maneuver though. So for people who say, you know what, I want to buy and then sell. For the vast majority of Canadians, and specifically in the GTA, Torontonians, the chances of you being able to make that maneuver with the complexity and the challenge of applying for mortgages these days are unlikely. The best bottom scenario you can have is ask a mortgage broker, even if the intention is I'm going to buy and then I'm going to sell, ask the mortgage broker, have them on call and say, listen, if I can't sell my property, Will you be comfortable financing both deals? Now, if you own a property with a large amount of equity, you might be able to pull that maneuver off. I know people who are downsizing can do it. But what you're essentially saying is, I'm going to rent the one I'm in now at the current market rent. Can you qualify me for both? The intention is not to qualify for both. The intention is to protect yourself because if we get into an environment where you purchase in a hot, hot seller's market with multiple offers, but then you find you've put yourself in a market that maybe has cooled, right? Maybe we notice in the next few weeks, things calm down. They can happen on a dime. Do not kid yourself. A lot of people got tripped up with this just a few years ago as we saw the uh, stress test come in and there was a lot of psychological fear. I mean, right now we're seeing a little bit of a wave of that because of political, but that's natural during a political season. But all this to say, you don't want to get caught. So give yourself a nice long closing date. If you're going to sell, buy yourself some time. I'm talking four or five months, man. If you got the, if you've got the bargaining power as a seller, why not use that to your advantage? And I don't know. Generally, I recommend even in a market like this, sell first and then buy. But in a market such as this, people will naturally, and I understand, want to purchase and know where they're headed. So that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Quote, this article continues, sellers who may want to put their house on the market are nervous about where they're going to go next. We're still seeing that as a big, big problem. So people, what do they do? 
they freeze. They freeze, they stay put until everything solves itself. I mean, we know if a downturn is going to happen in our market, it only needs to happen among a few. And I believe this is why we can expect to see slow numbers of listings, slow numbers of sales. We're going to look at some of the Korea stats that came out today and see if that's exactly what's going on. But it's the hardest it's ever been to move now. It really is. We got low supply. We got a stress test that's pretty much at its highest. And the cost of moving, as you guys know, is high, very high, especially if you're in Toronto with a double land transfer tax. Reason number two, we're off to a slow start. She adds that some homeowners may be waiting to see the result of the election before they list. She recalls previous years when the market has turned quiet leading up to a vote in the United States or Canada. Quote, people right before an election do hold their breath. That's absolutely true. That is true. We've seen that time and again. The big difference, though, between a spring and a fall market, kind of from, I guess, my realtor perspective and where I sit, we see this big wave that happens in the spring. And the reason is obviously that's the, it's a beautiful time of year. People are out. There's the most listings, there's the most options. So in a market like this, it's a great time for you to find something that you probably wouldn't have in the wintertime. Well, people who move in the autumn, in the fall, they do it a little bit differently. They do it for different reasons. Sellers who list in the fall are typically motivated by the usual life changes. That's parents needing more space for their kids. Maybe they got another baby or they want to downsize while their children get older. They move off to college university. Now's their time to move out on their own. Also, we see estate sales taking place when elderly relatives die in the fall months. So for these reasons, there's more of a natural necessity to move in the fall than you don't necessarily see in the spring. It's why we were able to see the spring happen so much sooner over the winter months, but why we anticipate or why we can naturally expect the fall would happen in the fall. Also, people don't really want to move in November and December. Therefore, the industry still expects the fall market to pick up speed for those reasons that I just listed. But I've noticed my business personally, just to kind of give a uh, another perspective picking up recently and they'll be coming in in the next month or so. So I am starting to see this kind of uptick in buyer activity, seller activity, and both. And that's where I'm seeing this kind of dilemma between I need to buy, but I don't want to sell until I do. But Bradley's telling me to consider my options and it's leaving people. In some cases, I wouldn't be surprised frozen. I mean, my, my job is really to educate. That's how I look at it and, and allow them to make an informed decision. Some agents will just say, yeah, let's go hop on my back. Let's go buy you something. I got this, no problem. But that is how things go sideways. And so tread carefully, folks. But many are holding out to purchase things as well. So here's uh, some example. I got an example. So you're retired. You're selling to buy through with cash. So I'm, I'm a retired person. I own my home equity. But you're now shocked. This is actually a live case. You're now shocked that the property you're planning on purchasing. I've got some clients right now looking to move out to Brantford. I've been pitching the Brantford gospel for a little while now. And there was just a news article that came out last week talking about Brantford is the new hot small town. Well, there you go. So now competition is everyone seeing that if they weren't already seeing that. And now people who want to move that direction, want to downsize, they're recognizing prices are 50, 80, 100,000 over what they expected. As a retiree, that means less money in my pocket. And so I would not be surprised if they put off moving for now. That's a very real possibility. If you, can, if you can't get the price you want, you hold out. The article continues. Many are lagging behind because they wanted to take a breather during the summer after long stretches of lockdown. So is it unusual or unexpected that we would have a late fall? No. In fact, I had a lot of question marks on when the fall would begin. 
Reason number three, things are moving slowly. Some sellers who have homes languishing on the market at 3 million and are, are up are, and up, so 3 million above, so luxury, I would say it actually, the number might even start lower, depending on the market you're in, obviously. They're holding out for prices that the market will not bear. Buyers do submit offers, but some intractable sellers spurn them all. In other words, the prices you would expect are realistic. They're in line with what they should because you're getting many offers. That's kind of what the market is telling you. But the sellers, man, they're sticklers. They, they're like, no, no, I got it. They're holding out for the price they expect. Now, we can say that this is what is calming our market or the market is falling. But to be honest with you, this time of year, it's a very common thing because we've just come through a hot spring market. Though it came earlier, it's natural to have prices decline from the spring. We see that every, every year. Between the spring and the winter, you can get anywhere from 5 to 10% drop in prices. So if my neighbor just sold for 5% higher and you expect me to sell at this price, no, oh, these are some greedy buyers, I'll tell you. How dare they want to buy something at the market price? Look at what he sold for. And I think that that scenario happens all the time, this year included. And here's what a late fall means. In Toronto, the fall market may be concentrated into a few short weeks this year. So given that we're now entering the fall market now, two, three weeks behind what we would normally expect, doesn't mean the fall market's going to push until November, December. If anything, we'd see a bump forward of spring, but just given the next few months, it means we're going to have a very fast and short fall. <laughs> fall in the sense of the season, not fall in the sense of prices. So I would recommend if you guys are thinking about doing anything this fall, don't be disheartened so far. And we're going to continue where we're going and what we're seeing this past week. Don't be disheartened. Recognize, yes, the fall has not happened yet, but there's a very real possibility that is on its way. Okay, moving on. There is one big exception right now to slow listings. Everywhere we're seeing slow, 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 except for this property type. And that is suspense is building. <laughs> Condos, condos. Condos have seen a dramatic spike in listings recently as some investors sell their one-bedroom units of less than 1,000 square feet. They're dumping those tiny things. Who wants to live in those types of homes in this type of environment? I want the space. Space to grow, space to move my arms and not punch things as I'm doing my podcast. Several condo projects in the city have recently been completed. Some investors are motivated to sell because of pre-construction units they purchased a few years ago. They're saying, you know what, let's get out. This is maybe an opportunity. But here's a question. Here's a good question. One the article tries to tackle, one that many of you might be having who own condos. Should I sell my condo right now? Should I be doing that? Here's what the article says, and then I'll give you my thoughts. Some prospective sellers are asking whether he advises listing now or holding off until the spring market. Between the pandemic, next week's federal election, and unpredictable financial markets, they can't make a solid prediction. <laughs> so no prediction, except they say, I don't think anyone can responsibly answer the question pointing to the uncertainty surrounding the outcome of the election and the strength of the economy. So in other words, we're not comfortable giving an answer. Anybody who gives you an answer at this point is irresponsible for doing so. So here is my irresponsible response. <laughs> my thinking on this, on condos and whether it's a good time to sell, is sell. My adv advice would be sell. And this is a common thread. If you have a better investment opportunity. So I recognize people will sell even if there's a forecast for growth, 
in an environment where there's a platform for them to increase their wealth even more. And I do believe that if you're an investor specifically and you're renting it out, there are far better options available to you than owning a single condo, a single condo unit, as far as cash flow, as far as equity growth and all the fun stuff. Anyways, that aside, more likely than not, if that wasn't your case where you didn't have somewhere else to go, I would actually hold. Realtor telling me not to sell? What? Blasphemy. That's right, blasphemy. Well, here's why. Here's some of my thoughts going into it. You guys make up your own decision. I mean, it's your money. Do what you want. Scott Ingram posted, and we're looking over the last week, with a bunch more listings and not a bunch more sales yet, the months of inventory, the months of inventory, that's right. We actually have a bunch of more listings. That might come as a surprise. We're gonna talk about that later in the episode, but we're gonna stick with the rest of the details here, which is talking about the months of inventory has bumped up a bit for condos and freeholds. Both are still at low levels for September. Low levels being freehold 1.5, condos 1.8. Those condos, I mean, when we look back even into August, they were floating around that one mark month of inventory. So you would naturally say that's a massive increase of months of inventory. Maybe it's delayed. Maybe it's saying catch up. Months of inventory has a habit of doing that. But still, under two months of inventory is a very, very strong seller's market. But here is why. This is info you don't hear about. I mean, this no one talks about this stuff. But to me, this is this is it. I mean, this is the magic, folks. He continues, 26 years of history has shown that average detached prices is usually around two times the average condo price. Interesting. Plus or minus 0.25. Well, it's now sitting at 2.32. 2.32, which is high. That makes condos more attractive and detached less attractive. So expect some rebalancing in prices here. Either we're going to have detached prices in order to keep this kind of balance we've experienced up until looks like 2012 when things started getting a little bit chaotic. It's very common for us to see a natural difference. In fact, as we were seeing a climbing back in 2014 through 17, that climbing difference in detached was followed by a severe drop in detached prices and followed also by an increasing price of condos. So if history is an indication and this formula holds true, you would naturally make more sense to be in a condo if you were simply playing the equity game and in the markets. Bet you didn't hear that anywhere else. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Now's a good opportunity to say like and subscribe, guys. We're having some fun. But here is the prediction that the Globe and Mail does make. Here's what they say. I'm sensing that no one wants to be listing or searching in November, December, and January unless they absolutely have to. We'll see a lot of activity in these next two months and we won't see an active winter whatsoever. That, my friends, is a safe answer. (laughs) That's the answer you give to the mass media. And that's exactly what they got. And I I agree. I mean, you're not going to see people going crazy in the winter, maybe early in January, February, if if 2021 is, is replicated. But... As far as winter months goes, it's damn cold around here. Global warming is making it even colder. (laughs) There's a paradox. Anyways, looking at prices. Let's look at prices. Robert Hoagie, senior economist at RBC, says a calmer tone is setting into the housing market across the country. The tight supply, strong demand are keeping prices at lofty levels, he says, but price increases are happening at a slower pace. All that crazy price growth, people buying a house, selling it three months later, and make $100,000, primary residence, Freaking flipper. Maybe the politicians have something to say about that. Oh, yes, they do. Well, that's not happening as much these days, but he's predicting that this trend will continue in the major markets with constrained supply maintaining strong protection against any major price downslides. 
I believe Mr. Hoagie is bang on. That's my thinking, guys. I think we're going to have a solid price base. We're going to have that kind of foundation. But that doesn't mean that we can't talk about the risks because there are absolutely threats and they just got a whole lot bigger. But let's look at this week's stats. So we just came out of this article talking about, you know, low supply with the exception of condos. Is that the case? Because that article was published less than 24 hours ago. Well, guess what? When you're looking at stats from the past month, but now you jump to looking at the stats for the past week, God, things can change pretty fast and they sure do. This article we just read might already be old. I hope you guys stuck around to this part of the episode because inventory patterns are actually beginning to change. I think this week is the first the beginning of the fall market. I believe it's actually already happening. When we look at weekly active listings, here we go. The rise, the fall rise in inventory that buyers have been waiting for is here. Freeholds, that is 248 more listings this past week. Listings went up 19% in the last week. Condo listings are up 10% in the last week. That kind of sounds like maybe a growth and it's starting to look very much like the trend we expect in the fall, though it's happening maybe a week or two late. Doesn't mean it's not happening. In fact, I believe it's already here. So get pre-approved. <laughs> but we have much stability. Let's talk about the risks. Let's talk about the risks, folks. Here are the reasons that I think prices could remain flat or drop. And if they're going to drop and it's based in psychology, if it's a psychological drop, I believe it has actually more of an impact than real drops because I don't think that anyone's hoping for massive drops, at least political homeowners, the majority of Canadians, I don't think want dropping in prices, massive dropping prices, stability, fine. But we might see a drop. So naturally I, I tend to, from my experience, psychology, psychological drops have a bigger impact than real drops. That is changes in the market. But one of the drops that I would look at as the strongest argument, the strong, I think I can't think of a stronger argument, especially today, especially with the news that just came out than this. Central banks promise rate hikes as inflation climbs. So inflation, if it climbs, we will find rate hikes in a natural natural market. So not psychological, in a real market. We're talking the same factors like unemployment, right? When you look at unemployment, when we look at uh, population growth, these are real factors, things that people want in real calculations. Well, I believe inflation and interest rate, therefore, is a real calculation. So the drop would be a real drop, a sustained drop, not one due to psychology. Did I say psychology? Say it one more time. Psychology. Bank of Canada Governor Tiff McClellan insists he is preparing to push a lever expected to have a real effect on the escalating prices of housing. That is hiking interest rate. By the way, this is irrespective of who is our prime minister. So this has, in a way, nothing to do with political, nothing to do with the election right now. He said this, making it clear, no matter who, Mr. Trudeau gets power again. You know, he's got all these price increases. If the interest rates rise because of the central bank, that's on Mr. Trudeau. But if the conservatives come in, what a show that would look like. Conservatives come in and they just destroy all of your wealth because it's happening by the central bank. They don't care who you vote for. <laughs> People with a stake in Canada's diverse housing sector, including homeowners, investors, and those aspiring to buy, will be paying close attention to Wednesday, today, September 15th, data from the Canadian Real Estate Association. They will be watching Canada's inflation numbers coming out on the same day today. Yes, I have those stats for you. Yes, I have those numbers for you. Yes, they're looking a little bad. But this is what's expected as far as inflation is 3.9%. That is from economists, 
And we know economists have a habit of being bang on with their predictions. But if so, that will be the highest Canadian inflation figure since 2003, if they hit 3.9. So let's look at how they did with their predictions. Let's start off with the Canadian Real Estate Association prices. What were they expecting? Nationally, many experts expected the July slide in both sales and prices to continue in Wednesday's results. When we looked at last month, what was the expectation? Prices are going to continue to come down. Number of sales are going to continue to come down. What did we say? No, they're not. <laughs> we were right. We were right. The Canadian Real Estate Association numbers were better than expected. Now, as far as number of sales, they did come down. They edged back down 0.5% on a month-over-month basis in August. But the actual year-over-year activity was down 14% year-over-year. So we saw this decline on the sales front. People are so focused on sales. Does nobody care about prices? Like, are we so fixated on the number of sales and therefore the pocketbooks of realtors that we ignore the homeowner? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I would think 90% of you guys care mostly about what's the price of my home, what's the level of competition. I don't care if my neighbor sells or not, as long as my home, stable, and my home price are stable. For those numbers, for the home prices, which I think we're most caring about, MLS HPI rose. It went up. Oops. <laughs> Change of pattern? Maybe. Predictable? I think so. 0.9% month over month and was up 21.3% year over year. The actual not seasonally adjusted national average sale price posted a 13.3% year over year gain in August. Prices are not going down. They're going up because we're dealing with such tight supply. Yes, the number of sales is down, but so is the number of listings. The activity is just down in general. There's this kind of equilibrium that's happening. But therefore, based on the results of CREA, based on the anticipation of interest rate changes, the Canadian real estate prices are higher than expected. There is not a slowdown in prices that they had hoped for, which is nothing special. But let's now look at inflation. I think this is the bigger one, guys. Today, the Global Mail put out an article discussing what the Bank of Canada has announced is our inflation rate. What was our target? 3.9? Here we go. The consumer price index jumped 4.1% in August from a year earlier. Statistic Canada said Wednesday is up from 3.7 in July. For five consecutive months, the annual rate of inflation has exceeded the Bank of Canada's target rate of 1% to 3%. That's cute. 1% to 3%. I remember those times when that was kind of the goal. What are we doing? 4%. 4%. In other words, we are coming due. The stars are lining up nicely for interest rate increases at a minimum. At a minimum, guys, lock in your five-year rates because I anticipate you're going to see those go up. But will they stall? We're seeing a lot of stalling happening in the U.S. right now. Is that the case in Canada? Is the expectation we're going to stall? Well, when we talk, when we listen to Tiff McClellan, this is last week. Last week, here's what he said. It is reasonable to expect that when we do eventually need to reduce monetary stimulus, our first move will be to raise the target for the overnight rate, our policy interest rate. So not only will they not stall, interest rate increases is their first maneuver. Like that is the plan is to bump those interest rates. I mean, these emergency interest rate drops of, what was it, 0.75%. That's the first thing that's going to go, man. Anyways, with lowering borrowing costs, one of the things that I find fascinating, kind of fun, is this kind of balance between where we've seen interest rates come down, prices go up. There's this series of tweets that um, Moffitt, I think his name's Matt, Mike Moffitt, economist at Western University, Ivy School of Business. We've heard from him before on our show. He tracks the rising price of a house he once owned as the mortgage rates fall between 2004 and 2021. He's kind of tracking prices 
versus interest rates and pay mortgage payments. His valid point is that the rising costs have made housing unaffordable for new entrants. At that same house rose in price 200 to 700. So his value back in 2004 was 200,000. Today, 2021, it's 700,000. Well, while the required down payment has rocketed with the total selling point price, so you need more money to purchase, perhaps more interestingly, the lifetime interest cost over the 25-year mortgage actually declined from 2004 to 2021. So you end up, your costs go down significantly despite the fact that the values are up more than triple, more than triple, yet somehow your costs go down. It's a very interesting dynamic. So what we've done essentially is we've traded low borrowing costs for high real estate prices. If I had a choice, if we could kind of, if history was a way of reflecting on things, my preference as a homeowner would be, I'd like home prices to be lower and my interest rates to be kind of higher, right? I feel like that gives a little bit more of an opportunity for people to move and get in. When we start reaching these inflated house prices, it becomes more difficult for people to enter and therefore cycle through the home property, the, the, the home search and buying and selling and the movement, right? That flow, which is again, I think why a lot of people look at sales. People like that flow, creates jobs, creates opportunities. It creates tax income for cities, stuff like that. Therefore the opposite of decreasing interest rates is what? Increasing interest rates, duh. In the past, rising interest rates have pushed house prices down. Will they do it again? Maybe this is just a unique time in history because it's always been the case. Although it takes months or years to take effect. This kind of weighing, right? We saw a very quick, what's what's funny is we saw a very quick increase in prices when interest rates went down. Are we gonna see a slow change if interest rates go back up? Sorry, not if, when interest rates go back up. The conversation is very, very deep, especially based on the stats today. I think the threat that we had that was the biggest threat is now definitely the biggest threat because it just got a whole lot bigger. But prices dropping with interest rates rising is as predictable as leaves falling in October. You don't need to force it. They'll do it automatically. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Reason number two that I think that we have a bit of a threat on our hands, but less, far less of an argument, a lot weaker of an argument, but I think it's still natural to have this conversation because I mean, it's the 15th of September. If you haven't already done your advanced polls, you're going to be going to the polls within a week, guys. The leading political parties in the current federal election all want to make housing more affordable. That's the plan. We're going to make how that's a promise, really. Several have plans to increase housing construction, and some say they will offer subsidies to help new buyers into the market, but none have celebrated the idea of higher interest rates. So they all want to, So, and ironically, because they can't, I mean, they're not supposed to be able to, there's supposed to be a separation between the Bank of Canada and the, and the federal government, but it's also not that glamorous to say, I'm going to boost interest rates and kill your home values. I'd rather just say, we're going to make it more affordable. It seems like a far easier plan. But when we start looking at some of the political parties, the plans to do that, the, the, the strategy, I mean, from where I'm sitting, isn't, isn't equal for every party. So here are my thoughts, because I was just actually on a podcast with um, Ontario Landlords Watch. We did a live Facebook. There was a baby screaming, so she actually took it down. We might edit it and throw it back up. So at some point, you might find it over on their page. So I encourage you guys to jump over there. But one of the questions she asked me was, what are my thoughts on political parties? Now, I wasn't really as prepared to answer as I am right now, but you're going to get, I guess, a bit of a sliver of what we talked about on that show. Here's my thoughts based on who wins the election this week. Liberal majority. If we get a liberal majority, that was the reason Trudeau called in the first place, was it not? We have a shakeup. 
We truly do. We got a high risk of a shakeup, including psychological changes to our market. That, like I said, is what freaks me out the most. Things like blind bidding war. How are people going to take to that? I am in the camp that believes that things need to be done for transparency. I Many people don't take that perspective, but that is my thoughts. Is the liberals strong arming and putting in the criminal code the way to do it? Definitely not. But does, is it nice that they're having a conversation? Sure. But if they go in and let's say all the things they said that they would do happen, that's a shakeup. That's a true shakeup. Also, we see a tendency of the liberals to have a high spending count. And they're also talking about an anti-flipping tax. They're not the best friends of investors because they want to stop the speculation, which includes you if you buy your primary residence and sell it within a year. They want you to pay 100% income tax on that gain, not capital gains. And also the possible risk, I can't see this playing out guys, but the risk that still looms for a lot of people in a lot of people's minds is a hidden primary residence tax exemption removal, which is a long-winded way of saying you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on your own house. Even if you're not investing, we're going to hurt everybody equally. They've said they're not going to do it, but they've definitely put some energy into figuring out how that would work. Now, if we end up with a liberal and an NDP, those two parties together make a majority, here's the thing. We're no different than we were before because that is exactly the position we are. The only difference now is we have some extra promises the liberals want, but they're going to have to get through the NDP's doors to do that. But if we get a conservative minority, more likely than not, a, a conservative election, a conservative party, if, a, if it's a majority, things are just going to happen quicker when I look at the conservatives. But if they get the minority, we're going to see slower change, but also a continued protection for landlords. We're going to see a strength in supporting the capital gains tax that currently exists apart from NDP. We want to boost the capital gains tax, but we do see no matter what liberals or conservative, we see a promise that over the next two years to outlaw, to ban, to restrict any foreign investment for people who don't plan to move to Canada. So I think that one is all but for sure, which is why I think we're seeing a bit of an influx of that potentially, but I don't know if that's, I think that to be honest with you is more of a political stunt, but something that we can almost for sure see taking place. But I'd say it's time to stop weeping over the poor apple harvest the Trudeau government brought us. And it's time we grow a pair. <laughs> I know you like that one. I, I like that one. Anyways, I hope you guys had some fun. I hope you learned. I know there's a lot of content in today's episode. I hope I didn't blow it for you. But um, if you can, please like, subscribe to our channel and tag us at Watson Estates. Share it. I know there's a lot of value in here, especially as we enter the elections and as people try and figure out what the heck is going on in our market. Well, today's the day you figured it out and maybe we should share that with somebody else. I hope you guys have a fantastic day and I'll see you again soon. Take care and keep it real.